0: A registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors,
1: and welcome back. Welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Tuesday, January 2nd, 2024 edition. Yeah, it is 2024. Happy New Year to everyone out there. Uh, It's it's exciting times, a very interesting start to the year. And we embark on a new adventure, a new journey. A similar journey of last year, just with one more year in the books. That means that you are starting this year in a different place than you were last year. You may have made progress last year. You may have taken steps back. Either way, you need to fo- refocus yourself on taking another step forward. And we do that every day here on Invest Talk by answering your finance and investment questions, giving you some perspective, developed over 20 plus years of investment experience that can help you learn lessons to take into your daily life so that you can make good decisions with your money consistently. That's what this is about. It's not about one stock tip or uh, one particular piece of advice that's going to unlock your future. No. It's a collection. And it builds on itself. And that's why we do the show here pretty much every weekday. It's because we know that once a month isn't going to get you very far. It's... Getting exposure to a lot of topics, a lot of concepts, a lot of terms that can help you internalize it all and make those decisions that too many people distill down into one variable. What's the yield or what's the growth or what industry is it in? It's part of the picture, but it's not the whole picture. So, our goal is to help you understand as much of the picture as you can. You're never going to see it all. I don't see it all. I see a lot of it because I have a lot of data, a lot of perspective. I know where to look. However, there's always things you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. But our job is to fill as many gaps as we can each weekday. Now, we're going to run down the market performance for today, as well as some show topics. All right, after we answer our first caller question, now.
2: Hey, Steve or Justin. I was hoping you could take a look at LA Financial, A-L-L-Y. Came up as an alert
0: on uh, one of the uh, resources I use. It's in the uh, regional bank sector, which I know you guys have talked about in the past. I was just looking to see if this is a regional bank that you like, and if you do, if it's a buy or a good entry point. Thanks, and looking forward to your answer on the podcast.
1: We're looking at at Ally Financial, and this is you call it a fintech company, but it's not really. It's more of a, it's actually the old arm of General Motors uh, financing. And they spun it off after the financial crisis, and now it's independent and it's one of the largest consumer auto lenders in the country. Now, its product offerings have expanded over time, but auto lending is more than 70 percent of its loan book. So that's where it's mainly focused. does have personal loans, commercial loans, credit cards, etc, but the vast majority of their business is the are auto loans of some type. Now this pulled back dramatically in 2021 and 2022 mainly because uh used car prices hit a crescendo in 2021 and then they slowly deflated throughout 2022 and 2023 and those high resale values of those cars made those loans that they make a lot safer because remember the the car is the collateral so if they have to foreclose on an auto loan or repossess a car they can just go and sell it and a lot of times they're making a profit more than what that consumer had had, had uh, borrowed from them and so that's why it struggled for a while cuz earnings in 2021 peaked at 822 then 547 in 2022 Last year, expected to make $3.09 in the full year. Obviously, we don't have the fourth quarter earnings quite yet. But this year, is supposed to make $3.66. So the first growth in earnings in the past three years. However, analysts continue to downgrade both last year's earnings for the fourth quarter and this year's earnings. And I think that's the issue I have with this. While the relative strength has improved, its relative strength is 92 as of late. It's nice. It's surged with a lot of the finance stocks because of those lower interest rates we've seen lately. The technicals look fine. I have no issue with that. But I do think there's still a a fallout to come because of poor lending standards within the auto industry, especially during the, the COVID crisis. And they were people were paying a lot of money for the cars that are now deflating in value. So I don't love it. Uh, short term, it's fine. I have no problem with it, but I don't like those earnings trends and I don't think it's cheap anymore at these levels. So could it continue with some upper momentum in the short term? Absolutely. But this is not a name that I would jump on the bandwagon with, uh, in the finance space. Okay. Now, we have a lot of ground to cover over the next 40 minutes or so, and time permitting, I'm going to touch on as many as I can. My focus point is set up by this story. Oil prices have shown their first annual decline since 2020, and despite what's happening in the Middle East, there's been a large impact on supply, not negatively in the Middle East as you would expect, but positively here in North America. So we're going to look at some of the some of the pieces of data we have in the oil space uh, to to color the performance of oil in 2023 and discuss the bearish sentiment on oil, the geopolitical geopolitical risk that risks that are involved, and the entire global oil production system. Okay, so we're going to touch on that. Also. What are the major economic risks going into 2024 here domestically? We're going to look at that. Also, central banks. Central banks are, they've been burned, especially the past couple of years. Remember, inflation was transitory? Well, it wasn't. And they had to shift policy dramatically. So, how are central banks now colored? We're all colored by our experiences, they create bias. That's just human nature. So central banks are run by humans, and so what shifts in policy will result from this these last couple of years? And then lastly, what are some migration trends within the United States that will color the economy, more broadly, and particular housing markets and local economies? So we're going to look at that. We also have some voice bank questions. Ready to play, one is about the broad stock market and the other is First Trust Water ETF, F-I-W. Now, talk about the market performance just ahead, but for now, we're gonna take a short break. Remind you to check out our new Invest.classroom Classroom series. It's streaming now for free on our YouTube channel. The latest topic is episode 14, titled How to Prioritize Your Savings. We're talking about the 40-30-20-10 rule allows you to focus on keeping your spending habits in check and contributing to your 401k and IRA as well. So Luke Guerrero and I break down these topics in just a short six minute video. You can search the InvestTalk Classroom over on YouTube and the phone lines are open waiting for your questions at
3: 888-99-CHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future.
2: Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities?
3: Everyone's situation is different.
2: Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce.
3: And so are their questions.
2: And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. You can get your take on Chewy. ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on... JP Morgan.
3: Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein.
2: You know I'm okay paying a fair
1: price for a very good business.
3: Steve Peasley.
1: It's a very well run company. And
3: now Luke Guerrero.
1: Even to growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are
3: ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique, and you set the agenda.
2: I will. Hey, hi, Steve. Hi.
3: 24/7 rain or shine InvestTalk is made better by the power of you. Call 888-99 chart. This is Invest Talk For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Stephen Justin is so valuable the invest talk anytime listener lines are open now and steve and justin welcome your questions call 888-99-CHART now let's talk about the
1: market performance for today it was a decidedly negative day overall as we enter 2024 you had pretty even balance in from a market perspective both The broad market and small caps were down about three quarters of, sorry, not three quarters, two thirds of 1%. But it was decidedly different when you're talking about growth versus value. Large cap growth down 1.85%, whereas large cap value up 0.67%. And so it's not a shock, considering the strong performance in tech last year, that nobody wanted to take their gains until say this year now we get into this year and you have a pretty strong down down day overall in the NASDAQ down 1.6% the broad S&P that was dragged down 0.6% and it was really driven by Apple and the semiconductors so Barclay and a Barclay's analyst downgraded Apple to a sell rating only the second current analyst that has a sell rating on it in the last two years and as you know there's pretty much every every large bank has a, a an analyst covering apple now this sell off was on the back of a pretty strong rally in december and a very strong rally off the october lows about 15% on the s&p Now, we're going to get new data, more data as we go through this week. We have the jobs number on Friday. We also have the Fed Minutes announcement for the December meeting. That's going to be on Wednesday. But today, not one of the magnificent seven stocks were up. Not one of them. All of them were down. Some a little, some a lot. And this is a continuation of the trend I was talking about really for the last two months of the year where... Those MAG7 stocks were stalling. The only thing that I think was preventing them from having a major sell-off was the fact that people didn't want to take those gains at the end of the year. And now those people can get off the sidelines, and if they're planning to sell or rebalance, reduce their positions, they can do that, and they did that today. AMD led NASDAQ decliners down 6.5%, Intel down 5.5%, and ASML down 5.6% after a Bloomberg report said that the U.S. authorities are putting more pressure on ASML to stop exporting their technology to China. So that was, uh, that's how the, the year started out. They say how January goes, that tends to color the rest of the year. That's often the case but it's not a hard and fast rule, but it's always interesting to see how the first month goes. And so that was the market for today overall. Uh, A further continuation of those emerging trends that I talked about going into year end. Value over growth. You didn't have the small cap over large cap. It was pretty equal uh, today. Uh, but we'll see if that we get some follow-through on that as well through the end of the week and then the month. Now, we're going to a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your questions on the Stock Voice Bank. If you're listening via our live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call right now at 888-99-CHART.
3: Now, my
1: focus point today is set up by this story. Oil prices have shown their first annual decline since 2020. And this was unexpected going into the new year. 2022, oil prices were very strong. You had the continuation of the war in Ukraine. And overall, there was low inventory throughout the world. And everyone was expecting a positive year. Instead, we saw oil prices generally dropping uh, about 10% on the year. And it mainly had to do with oversupply. And the supply was really coming from here in the U.S. That's why I always think it's funny. Um, both sides will uh, of the aisle will kind of blame the other, or give the you know their side credit for a lot that happens in the economy, and I think that's n- never more true than oil prices, especially because so many people tie the economy to what they see at the gas pump. Unfortunately, it doesn't make a lot of sense to to be frank, but that's that's the facts, and. You know, I say how during the Trump era, he was friendly to oil companies, but they overproduced and prices went down. And now you're seeing, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, the Biden administration's not friendly to the oil companies. Well, how did they produce record amounts of oil? Pumped 13.3 million barrels per day last week. And then you had additional growth in production from places like Brazil and Guyana. And then... And that countered really the production cuts coming out of OPEC. And they're continuing those cuts into the first quarter of this year. Now, oil demand, global oil demand is expected to fall by a half to 1.1 million barrels per day in 2024. While output outside of OPEC is expected to grow about 1.2 billion barrels. So that's... The conundrum here with the oil market is, if that's the case, oil prices may be more range-bound as opposed to positive this year. I think the biggest risk to that forecast, though, is actually on the demand side. If you look back in history, it takes a really bad economy, like the 08, where we had a financial crisis, to actually bring the demand for oil down. And even last year, 2023, the demand was higher than had been expected. So this is another lesson that demand is not the only variable here. So many people focus on demand for within any industry, not just oil markets. You're talking about chips market, industrial markets, whatever. Any market, any sector that you're looking at is going to have a supply and a demand balance or imbalance. And so many people only focus on demand. Oh, more the government's investing in this or more when people are doing this and so demand is going to go up. And sometimes that can mean more profits within the industry. But often supply meets that demand. And margins ...don't necessarily go up. Profits don't necessarily go up. And so what you see here is while demand in 2023 was relatively fine, it was supply that went up much more than expected. Now what are the risks in 2024? Obviously Middle East escalation. More confrontations between the United States and maybe Iran... That's one factor. And then obviously the Ukraine war becoming even more, I would say, combative combative. It's kind of in this steady state war where there's just a, a grind to it that is unfortunate, but it doesn't really create a change in energy flow, you know, oil flow. The sanctions are the sanctions. Western allies are trying to put more sanctions on, on Russia, but there's only so much they can do. And so I think 2024 will certainly be a positive year for oil because of the a probably more resilient dem- uh, demand situation, as well as continuing geopolitical risk, which is unfortunate, but it's the world that we live in. Now, in the next Invest Talk, we'll look into this story. There are four new rules for investors in 2024. Experts say bonds are really back. Cash isn't king, and they suggest portfolio strategies to consider. So we're going to review those and see you could be right. That's story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your calls at 888 chart eBay Motors is here for the ride. Stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's attack resistance platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com, that's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com, HackerOne.com.
3: The stock market is constantly changing, and serious investors know that they need to modify their portfolio assets. To fit the times. And now, with more than 50 million downloads, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley reaffirm their commitment to providing unbiased finance and investment guidance here on Invest Talk. 888 99 Chart. Hey,
2: this is Nathan from Texas. I just had a question about the market in general. You know, our stock market has a great proven track record of profitability. It's the best stock market in the world, strongest, I think. And so you've got people all over the world trying to put money in this stock market. And they're buying stocks that are out on these markets, like the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ. And those are all traded on you know, a secondary market. It's not like an IPO. And so it seems to me that you are always going to have too many dollars chasing too few stocks in our market. And that things... Perpetually long term are going to be overbought to a certain point, and that uh, you're going to have stocks that are inflated somewhat because of that and I wonder if I'm looking at that correctly. What is the governing factor that just keeps stocks from getting more and more out of control in terms of, of being uh, overbought and overpriced? Uh, I know Warren Buffett's run into this with his you know huge stockpile of cash trying to find value. And uh, I was just curious what role global demand for stocks plays in that. If you could help me out. Thanks. Bye.
1: Now, what you are tr- describing is a simple concept and it's a simple term. It's called premium. That's what us stocks trade at. They trade at a typical premium to stocks around the world. And there's a reason for that. Number one is our legal system and the fact that we have in relation to the rest of the world, a pretty fair legal system when it comes to shareholder rights, ownership rights, etc. And... That's why money tends to flow here because they know they can get it out if they want to. That the government's not going to, not going to come in and confiscate it, for example. And then you also have the regulations on government reporting, reporting standards and sorry, not uh, reporting standards for companies and you don't get that everywhere in the world. And so, yes, our assets are the most sought after. And as of the last couple of decades, the dollar has been relatively strong. So not only are you getting strong property rights when you invest in companies here in the United States, But you're also getting a relatively appreciating dollar. Now, that can shift. That can change. Could you go into a period, especially with our debt situation, where that becomes a bit more iffy? The dollar doesn't necessarily rise. It is more on a consistent fall. I think that's certainly possible as well. And then that premium will shrink to some degree. So... I get what you're saying, that money around the world is flowing into our markets and creating uh, valuations that may be higher than most around the world. Yes. But that's money flow is flowing here for a reason. And it can certainly flow out for reasons as well. But so far, they're typically good reasons. Let's talk a little bit about the economy in 2024. 2023, or going into 2023, forecasters had a simple explanation of what was going to happen. That the a more hawkish Fed was going to create some sort of a recession. But in reality, we powered ahead. United States grew at about a two percent growth for the year, despite a hawkish side hawkish monetary policy. Now going into this year, the median forecast by most economists is that we'll avert a recession and prices will continue to come under control. Now, as we saw last year, these experts can be wrong and often are wrong. So will they be wrong again this year? Well, there are three dangers to that pretty much a soft landing scenario. The first is the lag in monetary policy. Talked about that many times. It takes 12, 18 months to fully feel the impact of those higher rates. So that means today we're still feeling the impact of rate hikes of late 2022. And the second is that as we go along through 2024, consumers and companies are going to rely more and more on that financing, which is costing more because their buffers, the cash on the sidelines, the cash in their bank accounts and and money market accounts will slowly dwindle. So that's the second danger. Well, actually, sorry, that's the first thing. That's, that's, that's all kind of in the first danger. The second one is that real rates will become progressively more restrictive, meaning if the Fed keeps rates higher for longer and inflation comes down, you now have positive real rates, which you do now, right? With inflation around three, short term rates around five that's about a 2% positive rate and that as, as time goes on that becomes more restrictive and if you get an economic slowdown it kind of feeds on itself and i think the third risk is that while everyone expects inflation to continue to come down that it doesn't right that the pace going from 7 to 3 fairly easy but that last little bit going from that three percent which we're at about now to the two percent fed target will be challenging and that the fed will need to stay higher for longer and thus we can demand for labor and goods and then i think the wild card is what happens with the election we know that Both of the leading candidates for president for the two major parties, neither of them are popular with the majority of the country. They both have favorability ratings in the 30s, which is not great. Now, Trump, I think, is kind of set when it comes to popularity. Everyone kind of knows who he is. And you either like him or you don't typically. The wild card there is what's happening with the courts. With Biden, I think it's more about the view of the economy. And there's still room for the economy to improve, especially on the inflation front. You know, inflation is 20% higher than it was when he took office. Now, a lot of that was caused by stimulus from the previous administration during COVID. As well as you know, Congress passing so many stimulus bills, there's usually an 18 month lag of M2 growth to inflation, and that hit closer to uh, 2021. So that's kind of what happened there. But you know, as time goes on, if inflation can kind of stays in that two or three percent rate range, maybe the inflation boogeyman that's kind of spooked everybody on the current economy uh, kind of slows down. We'll see. But those are the big worries uh, for the economy as a whole as we go into – and then also, lastly, on the election front, what is the wild card? Is there an RFK that comes out of – kind of out of nowhere? Right now he's pulling at about 20%. It's pretty high at this point. Um, And 6 in 10 Americans don't want either Trump or Biden. So I could see a third party jumping in there and creating more uh, volatility. Within that part of uh, the election cycle. All right, let's go talk to Bill in Northern California. He wants to talk about PXD.
4: Hi Justin, happy New Year.
1: Happy New Year to you as well. Um,
4: thank you. Hey, uh, before I ask you, um, I I mentioned this a few months ago, and um, I just can't help but to be curious. I, you know, I'm, I may have missed portions of your show when you made an announcement, but. How's uh, How's Steve Fisley doing, and is he coming back to the show anytime soon, or is he? Uh,
1: we have. Uh, uh we're gonna have an announcement coming up soon, so uh, be on the lookout for that.
4: Okay, thank okay. you.
1: We're preparing one.
4: Um, so uh, I'll i look forward to that for sure. So regarding uh, Pioneer, I bought this last year, but it hasn't. I haven't owned it a year yet. If I mm-hmm. held it longer, I probably would have sold it back in when it was October when it rallied. but Right now I'm looking at, you know, it's in a taxable account, so I don't want to sell it pre-merger at uh, short-term capital gains and they pay a good dividend. So um, just in terms of, you know, you have better uh, software and stuff to know more news and stuff. Is there any news about when the merger would happen? And then what I want to know is the effect on the price, how – the price of Exxon versus the price of this is supposed to occur at a higher price than it's been lately. How how that affect my overall profit?
1: Uh, let's see. I'm trying to remember the exact merger details. For everyone else out there, they this is uh, Exxon is acquiring uh, Pioneer uh, for sixty billion dollars. I'm trying to remember if this was in cash or stock. Do you remember?
4: Uh, I think it's I think it's a stock, but I didn't have the details in front of me right now. I think it was uh, I don't know two point three shares of Exxon for every one of these, or something like that. Yeah, let me take a look here. So, so it would be affected by uh, Exxon's uh, price at the time that the the day that that occurs. So, if Exxon's price is um, lower, I guess if you were selling it after, then you'd be other off, if it was higher, but yeah. um, so if it's at a certain ratio, it doesn't really matter what price their stock is, right?
1: Exactly. So this is how it works when, and, and just I'm looking this up here, it is an all-stock deal, is is an all-stock deal. So basically what happens when there is an all-stock uh, merger uh, or, or purchase of, of a company like this, the underlying share price of Pioneer starts to move like Exxon because that's effectively what you are owning because you're eventually these are going to just turn into Exxon shares and you can continue to keep holding that. So you're talking about waiting a year. You can wait till that merger. You're going to get that, that conversion factor and you'll have a new uh, cost basis based on that conversion factor. And you can wait the full year. It doesn't reset once the, this merger happens. Uh, it's from your original purchase date of Pioneer. And yeah, it's going to move like Exxon. If Exxon moves up, this is going to move up with the same same ratio. Now, there's always going to be a bit of a discount as well, just in case the deal falls through. Uh, you have to do some math there to see what kind of discount it's trading at compared to what that ultimate conversion price will be. But yes, it's basically now an Exxon proxy because of that uh, th- that merger announcement. Now could it fall through due to antitrust, et cetera? That's certainly possible. But that discount is is kind of priced in there. So uh, I would just keep holding it as long as you want to hold Exxon. Just know that you're going from kind of a pure play EMP company with Pioneer to something that is more diversified. Maybe you're okay with that. Maybe you're not, but understand you now own Exxon effectively.
4: But but the odds of this running up again, like it did in the fall, are pretty slim to none? Or what, what do you think? If,
1: if Exxon does, right? It's, it's just Exxon. It's going to go look at it. You know, uh, Pioneer is up $5.40 today. Exxon was up $2.38. And based on the the conversion factor i bet that's a very similar you know percentage terms um, i have to go take a look but um you know that's how this works it, it's only going to go up if exxon goes up it, it's going to go down if exxon goes down it is a proxy of exxon effectively now thanks for the call this is invest talk i'm justin klein we have one goal here each and every weekday that's help you achieve your own version of of financial freedom, and our work continues after this final break. So, if you're in a call, you want to do that right now at 99 chart.
3: Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments.
2: Hey, uh, thanks for taking the call. A uh, long-time listener of the show. Just kind of wanted your take on FIW. I'm looking to maybe add more to my position. I read an article recently that actually water was one of the best-performing sectors uh, over the long haul uh, that is non tech like i said just kind of wanted your take on it and in your opinion i'm looking to add and is that a wise move thank you for taking the call i enjoy listening to you
1: appreciate that appreciate the kind words this is first trust water etf fiw is the symbol i believe we had a call sometime last year on this name and This is effectively in an industrial name. 52% of this fund is in industrials, which I like industrials. So that's fine. Industrials do have pretty good long-term returns. So not a shock here. Uh, You're getting some utility exposure. I think that's the biggest question here is, is do you want how much exposure do you want to utilities in a rising rate environment? Uh, That's worry, worrisome. 16% is also in healthcare. That also doesn't do that well in a rising rate environment. Um, So, you know, I, I think it's okay. Would I just rather own an industrial ETF? Probably. You're going to get lower fee. Uh, this one has an expense ratio of, let's see here, 53 basis points. That's pretty high for a sector ETF. Where if you just buy XLI, let me pull up XLI, that's going to be about 10 basis points expense ratio. So, is it okay? Sure. I'm fine with it. But i rather have more broad-based industrial exposure, especially when that FIW is over 50% just in industrials. Um, so that's the way I would go. I would just buy XLI. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch on how central banks are looking at 2024. And it's pretty interesting to see the lessons that they've learned over the past couple of years. And I think the main one is to not rely so heavily on their prognostications, their models, and to try to look at various scenarios and model out various scenarios, not just what their base case is, but what happens if inflation is higher than normal or there's an energy shock, for example. And the Bank of England and the Bank of uh, or the ECB, they both are kind of ahead of the game uh, and 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 the, the Fed as well. Even Jerome Powell said that that the economy is flexible and dynamic and subject at times to unprecedented shocks such as a global financial crisis or a pandemic. And at those times, forecasters have to think outside of the models. So that's really what they're going after now is saying, okay, having maybe tools prepared, especially in an era where your typical raising or lowering of interest rates has a lot less impact and only flows through to the demand side, not the supply side. So when you have a supply side shock, how do you meet that with demand side tools? I think it's very difficult for them. In addition, you have all of these major central banks dealing with local domestic debt that has ballooned to levels that in many countries are are unprecedented. And if those bond markets become unruly, then they have bigger problems on their hand. And therefore, they need to take that into account I don't think they're saying that explicitly but I think they are setting themselves up to run inflation a bit harder knowing that a weaker currency for example can help that it makes buying those that country's bonds from other countries cheaper and so that's another way that they can make the bond, their local bond markets more sustainable by weakening their currency. In order to do that, they have to find scapegoats maybe and targets that are outside just that 2% inflation target. And I think that's what they're kind of setting up, developing different models, different tools that can help them sustain their overall uh, domestic bond markets, which are becoming increasingly more fragile. Now, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another first Invest Talk program of 2024. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and be sure to rate and review on iTunes. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.
0: Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program,